Trigger warning, this podcast contains a deep discussion about self-harm, which some listeners may find distressing or upsetting. So please listen with caution. of the Just Checking In podcast. This podcast, as always, is brought to you by Vent, a place where everyone, but especially men and boys, can open up about their mental health issues, break down stigmas, and start conversations with me, your host, Freddie Cocker. Each pod, I check in with a very special guest. We have Anata and chat about all things mental health, as well as anything and everything else they are passionate about. If it helps that person with their mental health, we discuss it. A while back now, I interviewed my very good friend, Jay Fisher, and we spoke about a Kids in Glass Houses gig we both met at. At that gig, I also met longtime friends Charlie, Rage and Dan. After that gig, every year we would meet up and see our favourite band, You Me at Six. In many ways, we've all grown up together and we've seen the band members grow up too. So in this episode, I'm checking in with one of those friends, Charlie Livings. Charlie lives in Brighton and works as an accountant. In this episode, we discuss Charlie's sexuality and her coming out story as a lesbian woman. We talk about the gender dysphoria she has experienced during her second year of university and her journey of self-acceptance to being a gender non-conforming woman. We also talk about her experience of taking medication, anxiety and what she's learned through doing therapy. We finish with a nostalgic conversation about our friendship, watching each other grow up through Yumi at Six and the power of live music to unite, break down barriers and how, in some ways, it might be a form of therapy in itself. So this is how my conversation with Charlie Livings went. Charlie Livings, welcome to Just Checking In Pod Pal. I'm so glad you decided to take the plunge and chat with me after I asked you to come on during a slightly drunk Yumi at Six gig we went to a while ago. How are you, pal? How are you getting on? Yeah, I'm good, thank you. Yeah, Yeah, thank you for having me. I did agree under the influence, but I'm sober now. For the listeners, so it wasn't duress. It was more just a lovey-dovey no. conversation before I get in trouble with anyone. <laughs> yeah, it was all in good faith. Excellent. Yeah. I know you're a bit nervous about this, pal, but don't worry. Hopefully you'll enjoy it. Hopefully you'll you'll help so many people in the process. And hopefully you'll feel a lot better when this is all out there as well. So if you're ready, shall we start the show? We're not going to muck about on this episode, Char, so we're just going to talk about your journey first. Now, I ask all my special guests this question first. Walk me through your early life, teenage years, family, and looking back, were there any early mental health experiences you can pinpoint? Who's the Charlie we meet here? So my first experience with mental health was probably, I was probably about 14, 15. I was in quite a dark place mentally. I didn't really feel like I had anywhere to be myself. I didn't really know who I was 100% and yeah I just didn't really feel very very happy in myself so I was in quite a dark place and I was self-harming mm. and isolating myself from people and then it was a friend of mine at school who noticed that I was self-harming mm. and who notified a teacher and then from there I was able to get some support from the school counsellor that was my first experience of professional medical, like sort of mental mm. health. 
assistant. I've talked to a lot of guests about self-harm on here, pal. And there's different methods, as we know. There's the sort of overeating stuff or undereating stuff. There's drinking excessively or, 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 or taking drugs to an excessive extent. For you, it was more stereotypical methods, shall we say. So we're not going to go into the explicit details. Yeah. But when your friend discovered them and when they reported you to the teacher, was it from a place of love? And, you know, at the time, did you feel an anxiety about it? Or, or were you glad that they did that? I was sort of a bit scared that, sort of an adult would find out and there would be repercussions but it it was definitely the right thing to have done and I was really grateful for that at the time because I didn't have the ability in myself to reach out mm. so it was amazing that someone could do mm. that for me. I also talk to a lot of guests about addiction pal and I ask a lot of these guests the same sort of question I ask the guests who have self-harmed so what did the self-harm at that point give you was it an emotional release was it escapism was it distraction what did it do for you it was a sort of a physical release for things I couldn't really put words mm. to it was a way of feeling something because I, I think a lot of the time I felt quite numb and it was I guess in a cliche way it was a bit of a, a cry for help mm. I'm sure those friends are listening well I hope they're listening to this podcast when it comes out Char so what would you say to those friends now just that I'm really grateful to them for for being strong enough to reach out on my behalf and get me the help I needed. I think things have could have gone very differently if they mm. hadn't. And yeah, I'm, I'm really grateful to them. Mm. I always will be. With the counselling, pal, obviously you went through the school. And I guess for both of us, you're only a couple of years older than me, but the mental health conversation was in a very different place back then so did you feel oh, yeah, stigma definitely. when you had to kind of were you let out of school classes to go to it during term time was it after school what was that experience like and was the therapy helpful for you as well yeah so it was during school hours so I would get released from class every like once mm. a week or for an hour a week or something like that and I felt like I needed to hide it mm. hide the reason why I was leaving class so often and how I was getting away with that. The school didn't make me feel that way. It was just, it wasn't an open Yeah, it was internal. Yeah, it, it was internalised. Yeah. yeah. Okay. It wasn't something that was really discussed no. at the time. And it wasn't, it wasn't a service that was known for everyone. It was just there if you got to the point where you mm. needed it. At the same time you were having this therapy, pal, you were also coming to terms with your sexuality and preparing to come out as gay. Mm. So... Who's the Charlie we meet here? I think by that point, I was pretty sure that I was gay. And I think I was out to most people at school and most of my friends. I grew up in an area that wasn't very diverse. <laughs> and I sort of felt a bit isolated because I didn't really have any influences. Mm. And at that time, queer representation on TV was questionable there wasn't much of it and if there was it was a bit more cliches yeah. and it wasn't very normalized so I didn't really have references I didn't really have what I felt I'd needed like a support system and I think I ended up meeting people online and finding community that way and in a way isolated me from my from my peers because I felt so different mm. to them what was that coming out moment like then I guess to your friends first of all and then to your parents because the parent stuff came quite a long time after school, didn't it? <laughs> it did, yeah. Good, good seven years after I told my friends at school, yeah. I, th I don't 
really remember anyone really that they didn't care at mm. school. It wasn't an issue. Nobody made me feel like it was an issue. So that was really refreshing. But I did feel different. Yeah. Definitely felt different. At the time, you said you were living a double life. Can you unpack that for mm. me and the listeners? And do you think that maybe your parents kind of always knew or did they literally have no idea? I don't know if my parents knew, but I definitely felt like I had to hide the real me, I guess, because I was still figuring it all out and I was scared that they would find out and it be an issue. So I did end up, I think I kind of... I put up barriers between myself and my family and myself and my friends because I couldn't be 100% mm. me all the time. When do people see the 100% you then? I think now I'm just me all the time. <laughs> I don't really care if anyone likes it or not. It's taken me a long time to get to that place. But I think going to uni definitely helped that. Mm. And uh, moving to Brighton where it's... A lot more diverse. A lot better scene. <laughs> yes, much better scene. A bit more of a community. Yeah. Let's talk university now because we both went to Sussex University. So you were in the year above me. So I... I know you were two years above me, weren't you? So you were in your third year and I was in first yeah, year. Yeah, two years. So although we only saw each other a few fleeting times, some some drunk night buses <laughs> home on the uh, on the Brighton night yeah. bus of Old Steen, but you found the university system a big shock almost probably as, as much as I did although I didn't see it I saw you as you know probably because you were at third year by that point but I just saw you as completely well adjusted and and what have you so tell me why you found that a big shock in the Charlie we meet at university. Going to university was a massive wake-up call I have lived I felt quite a sheltered life and going to uni and having to really kind of grow up quickly it was quite difficult I think going to uni at 18 is quite a big leap for a lot of people <laughs> from home life from being spoon-fed at school to then having to fend for yourself and my mental health took quite a dip in the first year I think it was just a lot of change that I didn't feel prepared for and being able to be more myself was quite overwhelming mm. I still felt like I was in a bit of a double life because I couldn't I didn't feel like I could to my family even though by this point they may have already <laughs> known I hadn't had that conversation with them so I felt like I had choosing Brighton didn't help mate <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah I think that might have been a bit of a a bit of a clue there yeah and so I struggled in my first year I had my first experience as an adult with counseling mm. through the uni's health service I didn't find it overly okay. helpful but it was it was a way of reaching out and having someone to yeah. talk to because at that point it's taken me a long time to feel comfortable talking about my mental health with my mm. friends. So I needed sort of a third party sure. to talk to. Although you had stopped self-harming in that severe way, in that stereotypical way in school, pal, when you got to university, you were self-harming in a different way. And in the methods we explained earlier, sort of the overeating and you were drinking mm. too much now. In fairness, a lot of students do this. I mean, I was doing it. Yeah. <laughs> but what was your mental health like at this point? Did it ever become a, a real problem or was it more just something that you recognised and you thought, well, actually, I've kind of got to take care of myself a little bit more here? I think it got to quite a bad place and that it kind of took me to that point to wake up and realise I do need to be a bit more sort of looking after myself a bit more 
In your second year, Charlie, you began to experience what I've now found out happens to quite a lot of lesbian women, which is gender dysphoria. So how did the gender dysphoria affect the way you viewed yourself and your mental health? Yeah, so I sort of started to discover sort of this the spectrum of gender and sexuality and not having to fit in boxes, yeah, I guess. Yeah. I tried, I think, tried a lot to to be more girly, to look a certain way, and then maybe the opposite end of the spectrum, to be more mm. butch, to be more cliche, <laughs> gay. And now I feel like I'm sort of just me. I am still discovering gender and I still it's still something that I have to sort of keep mm-hmm. working on but I do feel more confident in myself and that I'm just me yeah. um, regardless of labels. Mm. Do you think you're at a point now where you can channel masculine energy and feminine energy and 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 the main thing here it's it's okay to be a gender non-conforming lesbian woman and you can you know dress in a suit if you want to one day you can also dress quite girly if you want to another day. Yeah, I definitely feel that way. And I think slowly society is sort of realising that, that people people's expression doesn't necessarily tie in with identity and people can just mm. be who they are and do what mm. they want. On your 21st birthday, Charlie, you finally came out to your parents over seven years, like you said, after you came out to your friends. So <laughs> if you felt comfortable, can you describe what this moment was like and their reaction? This was, yeah, very built up moment I guess it was my 21st birthday and I was at my parents as I usually am on my birthday and I'd brought my then partner with me to my parents big move Um, (laughs) yeah I wasn't out to them until later on on my birthday when my dad asked me about it and then that was me coming out to them without having to actually say anything that's classic you that Um, is (laughs) yeah (laughs) tactical it felt a lot easier because it wasn't something I had to bring Mm. up as if it was an issue or as if it was a big deal he asked me and never made me feel like it was a problem my family have never I don't know whether they've had time to process it they may have known a lot longer than I thought they did so they've never made me feel like it's an issue which has been well I feel quite lucky in that sense because I know not everyone's experience Mm. is the same what were you like then after that moment, either with your partner or when you were gallivanting around Brighton? Did you feel a burden had been lifted or a weight had been lifted off your shoulders? Yeah, 100%. I felt a lot more free. I didn't feel like I had to, to know, sort of dumb down things to sort of neutralise them. I can just be me unapologetically mm. now, which is great. Was Club Revenge not ready for you on that weekend then when you came back? <laughs> No, I think I think by that point I'd gone off. <laughs> no, oh, I, that early. I think I overdid oh it a little God. bit too much. I'm yeah. ashamed of you, Charlie Livings. I'm ashamed of you going off club revenge that early. Oh, where were you going after that then? Where did you when you get put off? No one going bulldogs, were you? Oh God, no, definitely not there. <laughs> that place was terrifying. Pro- I mean, bulldogs at Pride was something else when I walked past yeah. it one day. I mean, it was. I mean, it was great. I mean, they're all doing their thing, but I was like, wow. This is just, this is a madness. (laughs) It's a proper awakening. Exactly. Let's fast forward to adult life now, Charlie, because when you're in your mid-twenties, your anxiety started to really get out of control. So who's the Charlie we meet here and how was that anxiety affecting your mental health? Yeah, so my anxiety was getting 
bad to the point where I couldn't really concentrate on anything and I couldn't get myself out of these sort of ruminating thoughts, a lot of spirals and catastrophizing. Mm. I then got to a point where I I knew I needed to seek Mm. help. That was when I signed up for CBT Mm -hmm. and I found that was very helpful to help with the anxious feelings and to the thought spiraling. And I still use some of the methods now and I feel like if I'm anxious about something, I can calm myself down a lot easier than I did back then. Do you use the ABC technique? (laughs) Oh, yes. (laughs) For the listeners who don't know, I've also done CBT for anxiety. And ABC means activate event, beliefs or values, and then consequences. So basically is a method of you analyzing something you're feeling anxious about and then processing it and sort of stopping the, the irrational thoughts from taking hold. Is that Would that be the best way to, of describing it, Charles? Yeah, yeah, I think okay. that's a good description, yeah. You were also prescribed SSRIs for your anxiety, or medication, we should say, so specifically Sertraline. Mm-hmm. I'm always a big advocate of yeah. an individual-based approach on this podcast, Charlie, about medication and mental health in general. So what might work for some person might not work for another person. So did you find the medication helpful? Yes, as much as I didn't want to. I went on it wanting the help. I then quickly got scared and didn't want to become dependent on it. So I took myself mm. off it, which was a bad <laughs> idea. So I then went back on it and have been on it since and I think it's probably like most medications if you're using it properly it can be helpful if you're not then it's not going to help I think for me personally it's not something that works on its own I also need to make sure that I'm doing everything I can to look after my mental health and occasionally seeking sort of therapy Mm. and other sort of external help so it has to work in tandem basically Okay. Yeah, for me personally, it doesn't yeah. work alone. Let's move on to the lockdown now, because during the first lockdown, I believe, you decided to access some private therapy as well. So you mm-hmm. said to me it was one of the best experiences of your life. Why was that? And why was it different to the other therapy experiences you had had up to this point? Yeah, it's definitely been very, very helpful more than other therapy has. I think because it has allowed me to go sort of deeper than anything else has and to really look at a lot of root causes for things and undo some behaviors it's also being locked down it was also really helpful to sort of have some help in the moment so at the time I was living alone and working how was that very intense very lonely so in the first lockdown I wasn't looking after myself I was I mean, who was really powered? So be kind to yourself there. I mean, yeah, that's true. I think that was a common thing for a lot of people, but it definitely had a massive influence on my Mm. mental health. You said to me you have a lot more respect or self-respect, I should say, than you did before Mm. and ever have before. So why wasn't it there before? And what has it given you now? I don't really know why before, but now I can see my own worth and I can see that not everyone is looking out for your best interests. I've had to make the pretty difficult decision recently to cut off a friend because the friendship was quite Mm. toxic. And as much as that person will always be important to me, I don't think that we do each other any good. Right. It was difficult, but through the work I've done through therapy, sort of I know what I deserve and I know know what's best for that's me good now. pal and you can recognize those red flags now a lot more easily yeah, oh, yeah once you recognize yeah. them you can never go back can you i know <laughs> let's reflect 
on your journey now, Char. So, given all you've been through, first off, what has it taught you about yourself, do you think? That I'm actually pretty strong and that I am worth looking after and I have amazing people in my life that want me around, which is a lovely feeling. You now live a great life. You've got a good job. You've got healthy relationships. So if you could go back and talk to that 14-year-old Charlie, maybe who was self-harming and struggling with her sexuality, or maybe the 18-year-old Charlie, you couldn't handle the the culture shock of university, or Mm. maybe even the 24-year-old Charlie catastrophizing about her anxiety. What would you say to her, knowing what you do now? It's cliche, but it gets better. And that there are always going to be challenges, but it doesn't mean you can't overcome them. And most of the time, the difficult things are the things you learn from. So it's, it's definitely worth keep going. We've done the deep part so you can breathe. Thank We've you. now come to my favourite part of the pod, which is our friendship chart and these ridiculous 12 years we have known each other. So take me back if you can to when we first met in the queue of that Kids in Glass Houses gig and your memories of that night. Wow. And you can you well, can we you can so talk about me if you then. want, but only if you want. <laughs> yeah, we were so much younger then and would be the first people in the queue at a gig and wanting to get to the front and compared to now where we are in the pub until our band's on and then we'll go. <laughs> Abandon all thoughts um, of the support acts. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Sorry guys. I know. Sorry guys. <laughs> it's mad it's been so long. But yeah, music has brought us together. I think you uh, cut into the queue which we were in by offering us beer. I think that was the... That sounds yeah. about right. <laughs> it's a good bribing yeah. technique. Just, just bribing, all underage, all bribing each other with beers. That, that sounds about right. I was yeah. like, yes, <laughs> free beer. I was like that 16, I think. That is how you make friends at gigs. <laughs> After that night, mate, we, we pretty much have been to every Yumi at Six gig over the last 10 years, I would say. So what has been your favourite? I know what my favourite is, um, but I'll let you go first. I think my favourite was probably the 10-year reunion. That's also mine. <laughs> album tour. It was a week, I think it was a bank holiday weekend, and I think we saw them on the Friday and the Monday or something. I think we might have the seen them consecutive days, actually. I'm not sure. Yeah. Oh, really? Okay, Rach yeah. can, Rach can um, correct this on us if, if we are wrong, but... Yeah. Because I remember buying it... I remember succinctly, right? So I remember buying a ticket for one night, and then you bought a ticket for another. So I had to sell my ticket for that one and buy the ticket for yours, but like do it really quickly. (laughs) Yeah, I wasn't going to miss up the opportunity to go to their normal tour and the reunion tour. Oh, I remember crying at that night. Yeah, yeah, it was very emotional. emotional. I think that was my favourite, but I think the best set I've seen them do was the Ali Pali one. Do you remember that? Oh, yeah. I feel like like musically, like that was their best set I've seen in 10 years so yeah definitely one for the history books for me we've seen each other basically grow up through these gigs mate haven't we and just evolve Mm. and grow so do you ever think about that yeah Yeah, it's it's crazy that we are now proper adults not those awkward teenagers (laughs) at gigs anymore and you know some of our group have got kids people have you know all got jobs now you've got your podcasts it's mad to think that yeah we've changed a lot but music has always been that that constant that sort of keeps Mm. us together Despite the fact we don't know any of the band either, we've also developed our own sort of weird relationship with them too. I hope they never listen to this so they see hear these super fans talking about them. You always talk about the boys, so, you know. The boys. How does that make you feel knowing that a band or an artist, despite them being so abstract, can have such a powerful presence in our lives? Yeah, they have, they have had a massive influence on our lives. And 
I think that's a sign of a great band really someone that you've grown up with and that music has always resonated with you and yeah they've they've been the one sort of constant through all those years of <laughs> yeah. change and yeah we'll never stop yeah, seeing them as, as long as they're about we'll, we'll never stop seeing yeah. them we were chatting about this topic off air mate and you said there's something about music that makes you feel so alive so do you feel mm-hmm. like from your perspective at least you can truly be yourself at live music yes definitely i think being at a gig seeing live bands it's one of my favorite feelings it's like nothing else exists in the world that's it and you're there and yeah it just makes me feel alive and i'm just me in that moment and enjoying it and that's really nice. That's feeling. an excellent way to put it, pal. When I was in first year, just going back to university, one of the few times I ever saw you, actually, because I didn't see you a lot. I mean, probably because <laughs> you were in Club Revenge still at that point and I wasn't going to it. But I saw you on a night bus home. I remember this memory yeah. so clearly. Can you briefly tell the listeners about that? Oh, no. No, not you, but it was just, was I think really you were bad? more looking at oh, me okay. and la- laughing at how, how, how smashed I was. Oh, yeah, of course. You have to be drunk on the night bus home. It's the only way you can get through it. Yeah, I think I remember coming up to the top deck and uh, I was at the back and then you sort of came on and you were just like smiley and cheery and you sort of saw me. I was like, Charlie, Charlie. And you sort of looked at me like, oh, <laughs> God's sake. Now I've got to talk to him. <laughs> Brilliant. Let's reflect now, if we can, Charlie. So we've been friends for over 12 years. How do you look back on it and where do you think the next 12 years will take us? I think the next 12 years will still be going to see you at six, of course. I don't know. 12 years seems like a yeah. long time, but it's flown by the past 12 years. We'll be like, what, early 40s? Yeah, I'll be 39. So. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's crazy. <laughs> Hopefully still seeing lots of live bands and helping sort of pave the way for open conversations about mental health and things like that hopefully that's how and you're doing that right now pal yeah i hope so (laughs) we've come to our final topic of conversation chart and it's one i try and have with all of my special guests if they have time which is a general natter and chat about mental health so firstly how is your mental health at the moment mate it's actually not too bad at the moment i've just started a master's course in charity finance so it's been very overwhelming <laughs> to go back into formal study and have a bit of imposter syndrome not really sure I should be there but I am making sure that I looking after myself as much as I can and as much as I hate it exercise is the best thing <laughs> for me and trying not to drink too much wine you're not back at example. Sussex are you oh unfortunately not I wish no this is based oh, in okay London. cool What age do you think you were, pal, when you first realised or became self-aware of your mental health and you realised that the feelings you were having weren't physical and they were actually in your mind? Probably when I was about 14, when I was sort of in a dark So you were self-aware at that point, despite the fact it was trauma? Because I I remember when I was going through all my trauma, I didn't become aware of my mental health until I was like out of it almost, like at 17. So you were self-aware that it was, this was mental health? Um... No, maybe I wasn't. I'm not sure. When did you think? Like, when did you? Did, was there ever like a light bulb moment, basically, where you thought, "Oh, actually, this is like this is like a thing, and it's not just rite of passage or some weird teenage thing." Do you know what I mean? Yeah, maybe it was more when I was at uni, okay. and it was sort of happening again rather than first time. It was probably a lot of 
teenage hormones <laughs> as well like a lot of people have a lot of issues at that age but when I went to uni and it wasn't happening to everyone and it was happening again that made me a bit more aware <laughs> of what was going on. Can you tell me about the first conversation you had with someone about your mental health so who was it with how did it go and what impact did it have on you? Did you feel like a part of you had changed or a big burden or weight had been lifted off your shoulders? Or did it feel like something quite insignificant and normal to do? I don't remember the first time I spoke about it, but I have had more conversations recently. And more and more conversations are making me feel a lot lighter. It's a lot easier to talk about now. And I think it helps everyone in the conversation if it's something that's open and non-judgmental and it helps you realize most people will struggle with their mental health and it's not just mm. you you're not alone what triggers do you have in life that affect your mental health chart or have you not figured all of them out yet there's definitely a couple that i'm aware of stress yep doesn't help not i wouldn't say enjoying myself too much but not enjoying myself in the <laughs> right way not too much drinking and partying i was gonna say well let the listeners so... work out what that means but you just told them anyway so that's yeah. fine <laughs> And then, unfortunately, sometimes people aren't great mm. for you. So, yeah, it's so important to find out what your triggers are and just having that awareness, even if sometimes you can't stop them, to be aware of, oh, this is why I feel yeah, this way. Yeah, exactly. Because yeah. I've gone out too much or I've been in a really stressful situation. Mm. That's why I feel this way. Outside of exercise then as well, what tools and methods do you use in your own life to improve your mental health or help you feel better which ones have you found that have worked and maybe which ones that you've tried but haven't i've got recently into sort of journaling which i okay. find helps because i find it very hard to put into words how i feel so sometimes writing it out as i'm feeling it is helpful it's hard to reflect back on it otherwise talking to friends is something i'm trying to do more i still have therapy which i find very helpful and sort of setting myself mm -hmm. goals i guess something to focus on and not get caught up in the difficult day-to-day -day life. What's the best book or mental health bible, I call them, that you've read for your mental health? <laughs> not one that you thought, oh, wow, that's really helped me with my mental health. No. Damn. Okay. We'll, we'll leave this in. Sorry. We'll leave this in. Because sometimes, yeah. sometimes, no, sometimes people don't have an answer. So I might, as well, I might as well leave it in. Might as well leave it in. Oh, don't say that. As a final question, what more do you think we have to do to ensure people from all backgrounds, all walks of life, feel comfortable and safe in opening up about their mental health issues or just their general mental health if they want to do it. I think continuing to open up sort of conversation around mental health, awareness of how common it is to have difficult mental health experiences, access to resources. I'm very lucky that I was able to access private mental health care. I know that for the majority of people that's not the case. The country shouldn't be in a position where people are forced to go mm. private or get themselves into quite desperate situations. So I think access to resources is very important. And I think in education settings, it being sort of part of a curriculum, how to look after yourself, basically, I don't think it was very openly talked about when we no, were at school. Absolutely not. Charlie Living's my old pal. I've absolutely loved this. Thank you so much for coming on the Just Checking podcast for me. Thank you very much, Freddie. <laughs> Well, that's all we've got time for in this episode of the Just Checking In podcast. I want to say a massive thanks to Charlie for being my special guest for this episode and for letting me check in with her. These pods are where I can help my friends and give them a voice and it always gives me so much joy. As always, thank you to all the vendors who've tuned in. I'll sign us off by saying 
If you've liked what you've heard, give it a share on social media if you want to. Tell your friends, tell your work colleagues about it. Write us a review or give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. That will really help us out with those algorithms. If you like what we're doing event and want to support us further, please consider supporting our Patreon at www.patreon.com slash venthelpuk or you can visit our GoFundMe if you want to make a one-off donation. We hope to check in with you again very soon. And remember guys, it's always okay to vent.